Okay, we will be turning to Matthew 3 in a few minutes, so you can get a head start. Uh, Probably most of you know that I intend on preaching through the book of the Acts of the Apostles, but not yet. Probably in July or August I will begin that. What I'm going to do in the interim... I find extremely important to do it this time in our life as a church, and that is a short series on the doctrine, crucial doctrine, of water baptism. So let's pray. Father, help me represent baptism, biblical baptism appropriately. Help me unfold the clarity of it in Scripture to the hearts and to the minds of us, your people, that it would be and hold the place of significance that you have purposed it to hold to the glory of the death of Jesus and His resurrection, I pray. Amen. Baptism is not a man-made tradition. It's a God-ordained ordinance. There are only two ordinances given to the church from our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is baptism and the ongoing practice of remembering his death in the Lord's Supper. Baptism is biblical. It started with John the baptizer. It continued in the earthly ministry of Jesus, though he himself didn't baptize, his disciples did. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, right before his ascension, he says to us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The King, the Son of David, the resurrected man, the God-man, our High Priest, our Savior, says, I'm going away, I'll come back one day, in between, preach this Gospel, and as you do, I will be making disciples. People will be converted, and you are to then baptize them. Any person who would say or think, well, water baptism really isn't all that important, come on. Because we're saved by faith, through grace. I I believe in Jesus, and I'm, I'm saved, and I'm not baptized, so therefore it can't be that crucial. That mentality is like saying... I love Jesus now. I'm I'm saved, but I want you to know I'm not saved because I stopped stealing and stopped committing serial adultery. That's not why I'm saved. I'm saved by grace through faith alone. Oh, let me, I'll draw a conclusion from that. Therefore, 
I intend to live out my life in habitual, conscious disobedience to the commands of Jesus. And I will therefore go on stealing. I will go on committing serial adultery. It's the same mentality. How can any of us say, if Jesus is our Savior, I don't think your command to be baptized is that important. And I think one of the reasons so many of us in the evangelical church world push to a mentality like that is because there's just very little understanding of its significance and its meaning. And I hope to undo that this week and in the weeks to come. So let me just start saying it this way. Here I stand as a person who was baptized as an infant. Then, 20 years later, I went under the waters of baptism and I was brought back up out of that water by my pastor and an elder. Why? I did it in order to proclaim and to seal the death of Christ and the new life of Christ in His resurrection that was given to me experientially at age 19. And so with joy and with joyful obedience to Jesus, I submitted to the waters of baptism subsequent to my saving faith. In other words, after my saving faith. Let me clarify something that's important at this point. I'm going at times to be using the term baptism in two distinct ways, different meanings. And I just did it. I said I was baptized as an infant. And I don't believe in rebaptism. in another sense. In other words, if you, if you became a true Christian and got baptized once, you say, yeah, but I just heard this series you preached. Now I really get the meaning. I want to get baptized again and have that joyful experience. I will not do it. There's no such thing as being baptized twice. So what did I mean when I said I was baptized as an infant and then baptized again at age 20. I meant those in two different ways. The baptism is an infant. I count as an invalid baptism. That's the way I'm using that term there. It was not valid. It was not subsequent to my new birth and my saving faith. So I mean baptism in one sense to refer to an invalid or unbiblical, quote-unquote, baptism. That's why I went on to say at age 20, I was baptized, I mean it in that sense, as a biblical or valid baptism. That make a little bit of sense? So, so my goal then in, this morning is to lay the foundation of baptism and then to continue it over the next few weeks. Here's, here's the banner I want to hang over this though. And that's this. Baptism is to be obeyed by every person who has come to saving, genuine faith in Jesus Christ.
So let's start at the foundation, Matthew chapter 3. There is a distinction between John the Baptist baptism and Christian baptism, but there's a continuity that is foundational to understanding Christian baptism, and so that's where we're going to start. Matthew 3, starting with verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. All right, let's stop for a moment. So we've got to think about the historical context here. John's baptism was a direct attack on the deeply held assumption of many first century Jews. And many outward Christians throughout church history. And that is the assumption. I have the sign of the covenant of circumcision. I do works of the law, the sacraments. Or in the Christian church, I have these significant sacraments. They have been performed upon me, and I perform others of them. Therefore, I am safe. I'm okay with God. Get the picture here with John down there at the Jordan. He shows up in the wilderness of Judea preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is coming. It's Jesus. It's the son of David. And who is he saying this to? To covenant people. To the Jews. Now, particularly the males who all had the sign of of the Old Covenant in their flesh called circumcision. So these people that John is preaching, repent! That he's preaching to, they are in one sense already God's chosen people. In an outward sense. I'm born into it. I'm raised that way. We practice that religion. And now John calls them one by one at a time. Not in groups, not in your identity with Israel. One by one to receive this baptism that God sent John to do as a radical act of personal commitment to belong to the true people of God. And therefore, it wasn't based upon who their parents were or their corporate identity or their religious upbringing. John's message, in a nutshell, was to the Jews who even have the sign of the covenant. He says to them, repent, confess your sins, and give proof of your sincerity by a changed life and by being baptized here in the Jordan. 
And you better do it because God's wrath is hanging over your heads. That's his message in a nutshell. Let me just put a parenthesis here for a second. This is just, just one reason why many of us Christians who come to faith in Jesus, we marry God, gives us children, and it's, they're very blessed and they're sanctified to be raised up in a gospel church and in a gospel family, but why many of us do not baptize our children as infants or babies or toddlers. Because that is ultimately their decision if and when they know their guilt, their lostness, and their sinfulness before God and the gospel of mercy. And they come to it. Yes, repent. I want it. I believe. Now what? Get baptized. And they say, give it to me then. I want to come out of the world and proclaim it. I'm coming into the ark of Noah. Safety called Jesus' church. Baptize me. So back to the context. John called for the Jews in his day to admit they were sinners who needed to get right with God. And by so doing, they were admitting that being a Jew was no guarantee of being saved. Their baptism, that's why the religious leaders who hated John and hated Jesus and wouldn't submit to it, that's why they hated it. Their baptism was a sign that they were renouncing dependence on their ethnic Jewishness. That they were personally now, personally relying on the sheer mercy of God to free them from judgment. If they submit and flee from the wrath of God with a repentant heart. This becomes really clear in verse 7 of Matthew 3. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, you snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? And so the issue here in John's baptism is the justice of God in wrath. Not, not wrath against, which so many first century Jews thought, non-Jews, dirty, stinking, uncircumcised Gentiles. No, but the wrath of God against you Jews who have the sign of the covenant in your flesh. John comes along and he announces that baptism is the new sign of being a child of God's mercy which is coming here with the kingdom and the king who is coming. And it's not based on who your parents are. It's not based on what religion you're brought up in, and it's not based that you were circumcised on the eighth day of your life. It's based on a radical, personal faith 
and repentance in response to the message John's preaching. And this baptism was the sign that even though they were Jews, they were individually becoming true Jews. True Israel. Not merely ethnic and cultural Israel. Becoming the true remnant of personal faith and repentance. And this becomes crystal clear in John's words in verses 8 and 9. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these rocks to raise up children for Abraham. So there he's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders. He knows that their trust was in their ethnic, their cultural, and their religious marks, practices. John knows what they're thinking. And they're thinking, as they watch John baptize all these uneducated Jews, don't you dare talk to us about the wrath of God. John, we're Jews. We're God's people. We practice these religious marks and we have the mark of circumcision. We're not uncircumcised Gentiles. Abraham is our father. We are physical descendants of him. John knows they're thinking that. And that's the same prideful deception that has unfolded itself throughout the last 2,000 years, one way or another, in church history. Not just a Jewish problem, a Christian problem. I've been baptized as an infant. What are you talking about? Of course I'm a Christian. I'm in. Baptism put me in. The other sacraments keep me in. I do them. I'm safe. Give me this born again or personal commitment. Of course I believe in Jesus. Now I'm not just picking on Rome. Because we evangelicals have the same type of sacramental system. We just don't have seven. We got one. I walk down the aisle at that church service or that crusade and I ask Jesus to come into my heart. I got circumcised or baptized. Or whatever you want to call it, I did the act. I'm safe. Thank you. These religious leaders before John, they protest. We have the right parentage, the right lineage, raised in the right religion. Abraham is our father, and John's response is, don't give me any of that malarkey. I tell you, God can right now raise up children, true children to Abraham from these rocks, inanimate objects. 
So let's let me pause and be clear here. God's promise to Abraham about his descendants is absolutely rock solid. His covenant people are safe from his eternal wrath. The mistake that many make, the mistake that many of the first century Jews made was in thinking that because they were born a Jew and born in Judaism in the practice of the works of the law, therefore they were distinctly safe. Now as a people, ethnically and culturally, God would keep that promise to Abraham to preserve them in the earth so that there would be a people from whom the Messiah would come, to whom He would fulfill the promise to Abraham. Let's just focus up here right now. But they interpreted that promise to mean that each individual non-Gentile person who is practicing the works of the law have the mark and the sign of the covenant. They are safe. And they totally missed it. Listen to the New Testament here. In Galatians 3.26-29, Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, notice his connection, you're sons of God, how you as many individually of you, plural, became sons of God through your trust, faith. Because, now here's the connection, and they all got, they're all baptized, that's what you do. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. Those are the true heirs inheriting the promise God gave to Abraham, Jew or Gentile, slave-free, male-female. And we see that same truth ring through John the Baptist's shocking statement. You're dead on about God's not going to renege on His faithfulness to the promise He made to Abraham, absolutely, but you're dead wrong to think that if you Jewish leaders perish in God's eternal wrath, that somehow God therefore is not keeping His promise to Abraham. Oh, He is, He will, He can, even if most of you with the outward sign of the old covenant perish in wrath. Do not presume 
to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The point he's making is God will fulfill His promise to Abraham, but He will not fulfill it to hard-hearted, unrepentant unbelievers who are only outwardly children of Abraham. He's the sovereign God. He will have the seed of Abraham, even if He has to raise up rocks and make them come alive as sentient beings and believe in Christ. What John's baptism teaches us is that Christian baptism is not a continuation of circumcision in the Old Covenant. This is important. Many, many millions of us genuine believers on earth, and I mean born again, saved from the wrath of God, have the gospel right, we're going to be in heaven together. Disagree. I fall on the side of what is termed believer's baptism as opposed to infant baptism or pedo baptism. Pedo comes from the Greek word paideon, meaning infant or baby. So having said that, this that it's not a continuation is important. Because there are many, and many that I respect, and I listen to, and love to have preached to me. But they argue that since circumcision, which is to be done to the infant boy on the eighth day of his life, since that was the sign of the covenant, now since Christ... Baptism takes its place as the new sign of the new covenant, and thus it should also be given to the children, the infants born in that Christian covenant household. Okay, just in a nutshell, that's the argument. It's, I will get to it in a few weeks, I think. But here's my point. I don't think it works, and this is the reason why. Circumcision was the sign of the old covenant, ethnic Israel, which by definition is clear in the Old Testament, is, is the vast majority are unbelievers. But they're still God's covenant people, and they still have the sign of the covenant. They're not born again. Some are, the remnant are, most aren't. 
And this is what the Old Testament is driving at in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah and unfolded in the book of Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament about not the Old Covenant, but the New Covenant, Jesus said, in my blood. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah say, I, there's a day coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I led them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke and broke and broke and broke and broke. No. But the new covenant is this. I would take their heart of stone, soften it. I will take of my spirit and I will put it in them and I will cause them. Every single one of them will personally know me so that you don't have to say know the Lord no if they're new covenant people they know him and that's the difference in the old covenant and the sign of that was circumcision it was no guarantee of salvation whatsoever not only that, it's clear in Old Testament and New Testament that the vast majority of God's people with the sign of that covenant, and it was God's covenant called the Old Covenant, were perishing. The New Covenant by its definition means every human being who is in covenant with God in the New Covenant, every single one of them is born again. Every single one of them have saving faith. That's the distinction. Therefore, to replace circumcision with, I'm a Christian, I have babies, therefore they should have the sign of the covenant, doesn't work. This sign of the covenant of baptism is the response of the evidence and reality that you've become a new covenant person. Evidenced by saving faith. And then you confess to the world. I'm leaving the world and I'm going into God's people, the church, publicly through baptism. This is why I said earlier in this sermon, even though I was so-called baptized as an infant, I happily was baptized at age 20 after I had personally come to faith in Jesus. And thus, in other words, into the new covenant of His blood. And so, for the next 13, 14 minutes, let me wrap up this first week on this series in baptism by briefly stating the meaning of baptism. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, right before He ascends, to His disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here's our King and our Savior. Go. They're the initial ones. His, his hand-picked chosen apostles. And this has not stopped since. And let me just say something to every human being, every one of us in here. The church existed before we were born. And Jesus gave authority to His one church broken up into ten thousands of local assemblies. That's what church means. The assembly of His people. And so as we come into the world, the church already has a mission to get the gospel to us. If you're fortunate enough and God caused you to be born with a mom and a dad or a mom or a dad who loved Jesus, and gosh, what a privilege. But we're told, go preach the gospel of Jesus. Teach them. Then sit them down. Keep unfolding it. Count the cost before you grab this, this Savior. You sure? You understand what's happening here in the Gospel? Make disciples. And so we go and we preach it. It's been going on for centuries. And as we do, what happens? Some believe. They become disciples. Followers of Jesus. They're converted to Him. I believe. Okay. Then what? He's clear. You baptize them. You publicly receive them into your community. Jesus says, my people. People hear the gospel. They come alive to Christ. I know Him. I know this is true. I love Him. Isn't this awesome? And then, then they are baptized as a public confession of their embracing of the gospel. And then that picture, that physical picture, we got two of them, communion, bread and wine, and water. That picture of them going down under the water is a picture of them identifying with Jesus' death. And then being brought back up out of the water is their identifying with Jesus' resurrection and my new spiritual resurrection. He caused me to be born again. I love Him. And, and we picture that. That's how Paul says it essentially in Romans 6, 3-4. Do you not know Paul expects these Roman Christians whom he's never met. He hadn't been to Rome yet. But, but this is so central to Christianity. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... We were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised 
from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk or live our lives in the newness of life. Now, what Paul is referring to here is not to water baptism itself of what happened. He's referring to something that happens supernaturally, miraculously, brought out of death to life. But what he's saying is, I'm referring to the reality that all of our baptisms, physical water baptisms, picture, point to, that's the miracle of new life, new birth. It means, as much as that was a work of the Spirit, you cannot see it, it's physical, it's non-material, it was real. What else was real when He did it is that by the Spirit, you, a dead sinner, were made alive, and you were put into Christ, identified with His sacrificial death, for your sins and raised to new spiritual life. That's what happened to you when you heard the gospel. Now what? And now you go under the water and you symbolize your death with Christ's death. And you get brought back up out of the water and symbolize your new life in Jesus and your new walk in the light. That's it. I'm going to do, Paul wrote something to the church of Colossae. So I want you to hear this too because here's another church. Paul doesn't know them. He hasn't been there. He didn't plant the church in this city. Again, listen to the foundations that he expects that are the, just very foundational to what Christianity is. He says to them in Colossians 2, verses 11 to 14, In Him, in Christ, you also were, now notice his terms here, you were circumcised. Okay, these are Gentiles, okay? And unlike, you know, Gentiles born in the 50s and 60s, okay, they weren't circumcised, particularly as, a, as a Jewishly. In Him you also were circumcised. So He plays with that word and He spiritualizes it. But He doesn't make it up. That spiritualization of circumcision is in the Old Testament. Circumcise your hearts. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, physically, by the putting off of the body of the flesh. Something happened to your soul and your flesh, sinful nature, still there, but something significant was cut away. And not just, not physical foreskin, but by the putting off or the cutting off of the body of the flesh. How? By the circumcision of Christ. Now stop. Paul's very aware as the Jew of Jew and the Pharisee of Pharisees 
about the significance of circumcision that he believed in as the sign of the covenant. He says, I'll play with you. You want to know the real sign of the covenant? It is circumcision. This is a sign of your new covenant person. Nope, not circumcision by, by, by some ceremony of cutting away the physical foreskin. Nope. This is a spiritual, immaterial cutting and circumcision. That's the sign of the covenant. Another way to say that is new birth, new life in Christ, put into Christ, all non-physical. So that's what he says. That was you. Now listen to him. Therefore, by the flesh, body of the flesh cut away, by the circumcision of Christ, be having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Excuse me, read it again. And you who were dead, all of us were born dead to God in wrath. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh as a Gentile, he says this, God made alive. Okay, stop it. That was not true of me at age 8, or age 15, or 16, or 17. I was not made alive then. At age 19, I was. Some in here may not know a stark difference because you were made alive at age 9. Maybe. Or age 12. Or maybe not yet. God made you alive together with Christ. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what your baptism represented. I've been made alive. And my sins are forgiven. So don't miss this point. Baptism gets its meaning from Jesus' sacrificial, substitutionary, horrific death. And from His triumph over human death by His resurrection. And those together guarantee our new, now, and eternal resurrection and everlasting life. That's Baptism is not a replacement for the Jewish bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. It is not a coming of age ritual. 
This ordinance of the church is mainly about Jesus Christ and His historical, magnificent work of salvation in dying for our sins and rising for our justification. And being baptized, it is the main initial public confession of faith, embracing the gospel. It's the public proclamation of the gospel made personal to me, the person being baptized. I will identify with Christ and His body. For baptism also signifies our identification with the church. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. He writes in verses 12 to 13. For just as the body is one body and has many different members, and all the members of the body, though they're many, Together they are one body. So it is with Christ. For, in other words, in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether we're Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The Holy Spirit puts us into Christ spiritually. That's not water there. And thus, by so doing, He puts us into the community. How? The community baptizes. Because baptism points to it symbolizes this spiritual identity and identification with the church. For some people, our testimonies are different. It took me eight months to find the church after I was born again. I didn't even know I was born again. Or it could be right there in the midst of the church. And then the baptism points to what's already happened spiritually by the Spirit putting me into Christ and He leads us to the body, the community, where there's many members in one body. And baptism is a statement. I'm one of them. So let me wrap up week one. Baptism is related to this big, massive question. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Whether you're 12, whether you're 50, or 103, every single one of us was born as sinners with a sin nature 
and thus children of wrath. And the way of salvation is through the work of Christ on the cross. And thus, the way to get to that work of Christ on the cross applied to us is through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not through ethnic identity or religious identity, but I'm Jewish. But I'm raised a Roman Catholic. I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Southern Baptist, I'm a Pentecostal. I was raised up at Sovereign Grace Fellowship. The Gospel of Jesus Christ calls every soul, no matter who your parents are. They could be Islamic terrorists, or they could be Billy and Ruth Graham. It doesn't matter. Every soul is to hear the call with our hearts that the gospel, the good news of Christ and salvation, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever will believe in Him won't perish in wrath, but will have eternal life. And so it calls us to believe and to delight in Jesus alone for salvation, and then receive the new sign of the new covenant of becoming the true Israel of God. And the sign of true repentance and faith is water baptism. Let's pray. Father, You're good, and I, I so trust Your work in us, working in this room, working in our hearts by the power of Your Spirit. For there is no salvation apart from the work of Christ and from the application of it by Your Spirit. Oh, for those who need it, bring assurance of their salvation. And for those who need it, call them to faith. To the glory of Your name and Your Son and His cross, I pray. Amen.